All right. Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome back to another Learning Tech Talks, where we are continually exploring the landscape of learning and workplace technology while cutting through the fluff and answering your questions. Today, I am joined by DJ Smith, and he is the chief chief creative officer, right? Isn't that that's, that's like right. the title? <laughs> and he's from the Glimpse Group, which you're going to see, this is not just like a single L&D tech company. We're actually going to be talking all things immersive, and Glimpse Group is in all of it. So he's DJ's going to bring a really broad perspective. And backstage, we were having some very lively discussion on a few of these things. So I have no doubt that this is going to be a fun conversation, but also one that hopefully people walk away from with a bit of a different perspective or at least some insights on how they can think about where immersive's at and what they might be able to do with it. So thanks for joining today, DJ. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much for having me. I, I'm thrilled. As part of the icebreaker, as we get into this, two questions. One's a surprise, but believe me, it's not one that's going to throw you for a bit. Because as we get going, people start joining this. And everybody who's watching, I'd encourage you, we want comments today because there's going to be a lot of things that uh, we want your input on. But let's get started with an easy one. And everybody watching, you join too. So DJ, for you, where are you in the world today? I am in Morristown, New Jersey. Okay. All right. See, that's I told you. I told you it was a it was a slow pitch, easy to hit. I like your background, by the way. The oh, thank blue, you very much. The blue things, though, the, are those oh, are illuminate right there. So yeah. Uh, so Glimpse actually uh, went public on Nasdaq this this summer, and as part of the process of going public, you get these super. Super cool. Uh, Super cool. Well, no wonder you have it in the background. Okay, I would, <laughs> I would too. If if I had something that cool, I wouldn't just have a blank wall in the background. Yep. Uh, so our ticker is VRAR. So check us out. Oh wow, yeah. It doesn't get cooler than that. You got the VRAR <laughs> stock ticker. That's uh, that's pretty sweet. All right. Well, so I'm in Waukesha, where I always am. Question two, and everybody, I want your input on this as well. But DJ, for you. What is one thing that you've started doing from home that no matter what happens, you're never going back to doing it in person again? <laughs> and you said this was obvious. You didn't even have to think. You're like, oh, it's this. <laughs> well, it's only because it's recent. So um, so for the holidays, actually, my, uh, my family got uh, VR headsets. And uh, there was a new experience uh, that came out. And it's called Neverboard. And you can play Crazy 8s in VR with with your friends. Okay. Um, so I started playing crazy eights with my family and uh, I have family all over the world uh, and friends. So I'm going to say I am going to be playing crazy eights from home uh, moving forward. Okay. Okay. So even, even if you get friends together, would you put a headset? Like if they came to your house, you're like, you know what? It's actually so much better. We're all just going to put headsets on to do this. Uh... Would you go that far? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I we we have a couple. Of, <laughs> I have a couple maybe. Headsets. Yeah, I have a couple headsets at the house, so we could act. We do actually jump in and play VR things together. I don't know okay. if I would play cards, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is like the the futuristic imagery that people have of like this post apocalyptic world where we're all sitting around a table together with headsets, not talking type of a thing. So I don't, I, I, that's why I'm, I'm teasing you there. So, so mine's much more practical and it actually has nothing to do with VR, 
Mine, and I, and I debated this. One would be going to the gym. I don't think I would ever go to a gym again or a movie theater for sure. I think I don't think I would ever do that or go to the grocery store. Like uh, yeah, yeah. those were the ones where I'm like, nah, see, I, I don't have any <laughs> memories of those after doing it from home for so long where I go, you know what I really miss? Crowded, obnoxious places that I have to spend time around people. I have no idea who they are. Like, no, I don't. I don't. I'll be staying. <laughs> I'll be staying here for, for good from now on. That's so. right. Yeah. DoorDash is way too convenient. <laughs> <laughs> right. See these. Are, I mean, again, we've learned a lot of things that we go, you know what? I wouldn't, I wouldn't change this even if I could. All right. So, so that's kind of where things are at. Um, but let's talk a little bit about your origin story in, in the VR space, because again glimpse you, you have the VRAR stock ticker it doesn't get more <laughs> legit than that that's how legit the glimpse group is on that but sure. your background is you're you're you were there from the beginning what, I was was that like how did that even start so um so I actually spent 20 years as an engineer building buildings in real estate so okay. I think uh if you dig deep I, I like to create things Okay. Um, You're a creator at heart. I'm a creator at heart. And I, I play music and I paint and draw. Um, uh, so uh, so I'm a creative person in general, but I was also heavily involved in technology even before VR, just as hobbyist. Uh, but I really wasn't a gamer, which is kind of interesting because a lot of okay. people get into the VR space, you know, from the gaming side. Right. But but like as a kid, I you know I I saved my my lunch money and bought a, like an old school projector and <laughs> and put it in the basement and would like sit playing snowboarding games like ps2 style ssx okay. or whatever all right um so that was my immersive vr experience back in the day okay. before before uh the headsets came out and then uh 2012 sitting on my couch uh kind of surfing the net and uh palmer lucky uh basically had a kickstarter video where he presented the first oculus rift development kit and uh okay. saw that video and instantly was like they're like, that's it. I'm in. That's it. I'm in. Um, you know, bought the toys and just, you know, constantly seeing what's happening in the space. Um, and then I I got involved uh with the NYVR meetup, um, which I'm I'm still the organizer for. And NYVR, did you start it or did you was it going and you got involved with it? So um I was at, in 2012, I was just searching constantly, and uh, my partner in NYVR's name's Eric. He actually said, "Okay, we're going to hold the first event." I went to the <laughs> first event, and after that event, he was like, "Oh, you want to help me out with organizing okay. future events?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm in." Uh, okay. And he actually now, did. You know him before? No, no, no. Okay, so you kind of met. This was the how you ended up connecting. You're like, "Hey, this whole meetup thing." That's right. And then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was All like right. 10 random guys in the dirty conference room <laughs> trying to like figure out why we were even there. Um, and then uh, he ended up kind of leaving the industry and I just dove headfirst in. So I've, okay. I've really been leading it since around 2014. Um, okay. And we held monthly events up until COVID. Um, you know, that is what it is. But through running so a that- meet, a, a VR meetup group that met in person that then had to stop meeting in person. That's right. That's right. Um, but through so much, the, so much irony in these. I know. Uh, but through running the meetup, I was just getting- 
deeper and deeper into the industry. So connections with the developers, connections with the investors, the startups. And then in 2016, uh, decided to leave the my original uh, construction profession and happened to meet my current partner, uh, Laron uh, Benavim. Um, and he had a background in uh, tech and publicly traded companies and a lot of the background that I wasn't quite okay. as familiar with. So it was a really great blending of forces. Um, and we created the Glimpse group together and uh, Glimpse is really unique business model. Uh, we're a holding company and we have a portfolio of AR and VR startups uh, that reside underneath this platform. Um, and the platform uh, takes kind of the, the, the load off of the entrepreneurs with stuff that can be easily centralized, like legal and HR and marketing okay. functions. So for early stage uh, folks, um, it's a it's a, it's an alternate path to for uh, against the typical venture capitalists. Or now, did stuff. you like? I'm I'm curious on that one because it's a different approach to getting into the space versus being like, I really love this VR stuff. I'm really interested in where it's going, so I'm going to kind of try and create my own prod. But to instead go, you know what? I'm going to centralize a lot of the centralizable stuff and actually bring a bunch of these companies together rather than why? I mean, I'm just, again, it's not a business model. You typically hear people start with normally they create the product then they created a product. Maybe it evolves into, well, I started acquiring when we end up doing this, but to start, to start that way is not. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely hear. not, definitely not conventional and, <laughs> And I talked to a lot of different folks and they were like, why are you going to do this like trailblazing <laughs> thing? And I, I mean, literally all the credit goes to my partner, Laurent, who, okay. who, who created the business plan and he kind of pitched it to me. And uh, I had literally given my notice 10 days prior without really a solid plan. You know, God bless my wife, good job, benefits, and knew I was like completely obsessed with the technology. And uh, I was going to be a VR consultant. And I okay. met him and, uh, I, and I was like, well, I'll still, you know, try this consultancy thing in, in real estate, you know, do virtual tours or whatever, but I had free time and, and I, and I really, I liked the idea from the beginning. And, uh, <laughs> and as it turns, and as it turns out, like we watched a lot of our peers, you know, raise the VC money and, and, you know, develop wonderful products, but maybe they were too early or whatever it was. Um, and we are, we're standing and we're standing strong and, and we're growing and, uh, uh, and and at the right time. So I think we we had a business model that allowed us to grow in parallel with uh, an early stage tech industry, okay. which worked no, really good. Well, and you know you've made it when your stock ticker's ARVR. <laughs> I mean, I'm probably not ever, like that. You know you've arrived. Okay. So so that's again the understanding that business model is is helpful. I love the story behind it, but I think it also kind of speaks to the expertise you have in a broad spectrum of this because I've, I've right. talked to folks in the space throughout and I've got a fair amount of connections in the space, but, but again, they may have a very unique lens on it because they have this product or they're working with this specific thing versus you, you've got this portfolio. So yes. before we go into it, yeah, sure. Before. So we have, we have 12 different subsidiary entities okay. and they span where we think the most opportunities are within the industry. So it's it's kind of the obvious ones uh, if you're in the industry, but it's it's healthcare, it's 
training, okay. it's education, it's marketing and branding, data visualization, um, okay. and it and we're kind of split between uh, VR and AR, so immersive technology, uh, and we're really focused on enterprise solutions. So we don't we don't really go on the direct to consumer gaming side of things. Okay. Uh, we're all on the B two B or B two B two C. Okay, okay, got it. Because that helps then. All right. That helps me understand specifics within the category. But let's demystify this thing a bit because while immersive's not new, um, it's not a new thing. It's been around for a long time. And, and people may, you know, and I think that's one of the myths around this is, oh, wow, like in 2020, this, this innovative thing really came out of the ground. It's like, well, no, it's been going for a bit. But there is a lot of misperceptions or or mixed definitions on well what 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 is this? So you've sure. got AR VR, which is the broad spectrum. How do you? And I'm always curious how people actually define these things for folks. Sure. How do you differentiate or describe to people what those are? Yeah, yeah, sure. And th there's a lot of terms that people throw out: mixed reality, XR, and um, I'll, I'll try and kind of simplify it. So. Virtual reality in its core, in my mind, is that you are putting on a headset and you are being fully immersed into a digital environment. Okay. Augmented reality is that you are using a device, you are looking out into the real world and computer graphics are being overlaid into Layered your field of, uh, field of view. On the AR side of things, the vast majority of that experience is through our mobile phones, where you're leveraging the camera to see the real world and you're overlaying it, uh, digital information into it. And that's your Snapchat filters to your going yep. to Ikea and you're placing a, a, a couch in your bedroom. Um, augmented reality, the next phase or the next evolution of that te technology will be a, a, a AR wearable. Uh, and that will be a pair of glasses that will do the same thing that our phones does, but hands-free. Um, okay. That technology is is still pretty nascent. Yeah, I was going to ask you on that one because there there's there's a handful of them. I mean, there's more than a handful, but in terms of the capabilities, it's it's really all over the board. I mean, the Hololens right. two. I, I I we had somebody on the Hololens two on. Pretty impressive in terms of what it can do. You have that all the way down to something that maybe just has a little ticker, you know, sure. type of a thing. So we're well, let's let's not get into that because that's going to be another discussion. We're going to, but not yet. Yeah, right, so that's the AR piece. It's yeah, that's just on the early side. And and you know, Apple will be coming out with something eventually. Uh meta slash Facebook. <laughs> and then it'll blow up. Then then it'll <laughs> blow up. Um on the VR side of things, uh, there are I, I would say immersive experiences that are desktop based. That that's like your. Okay, I was going to ask if you're a hardware purist when it comes to the VR space, because some folks are like, it's not VR if you're not immersed. That uh, I I'm I'm in that that uh, okay. that team. I, I think <laughs> I I would say that um, you know Decentraland or Verbella or um, any of these desktop immersive solutions. I think that they are great and they serve a great purpose. Um, but the one one of the superpowers of VR is this sense of presence, um, yep. and that, that's a it's a it's a really important factor that your your brain and your body feels as if you've been transported uh, to into an environment, and and you can't you can't really get that out of any desktop solution. Not even when you had your projector in your basement playing snowboard games. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I was trying. I was trying. <laughs> but at the time, that's like what your options were. I mean, really, if you think about it, that was the best you could. And I, and I agree that now, presence, you can do way better than that. That's right. That's right. And you can do it um, for $299 if you buy a, a Quest 2. Uh, which is, okay. you know, a huge game changer for for the industry. Um, just now, do you differentiate? Do you differentiate with the MR? And again, when when I hear XR, to me, that's people just talking about the spectrum of like basically anything right. that falls under the immersive umbrella. But do you do you MR? Do you differentiate? Or are you like honestly, we're cutting hairs here? Yeah, I, I I will use either immersive or XR for the combination of AR and VR. Okay. Uh, mixed reality, I think that was more of a Microsoft coin term. They're trying to, yeah. you know, brand. Um, and uh, spatial computing was a magic leap kind of term. Uh, yep. You know, all of those things kind of mean the same thing. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. No. And then the, the big one that you can't go anywhere without hearing the term these days is metaverse. Oh, yeah. uh, so, and there's a lot of different ways of, of defining <laughs> That's that Facebook metaverse. thing, right, DJ? <laughs> Well, they're meta. They're not metaverse. <laughs> I know. They're, they're creating. Um, so I think the analogy for the the best analogy for metaverse is the internet. So um, everyone is, uh, well, a lot of people are like, well, Facebook's creating the metaverse. Facebook's not creating the metaverse. Facebook is creating a planet or within the universe, and the universe is the metaverse, right? Yep. The, the metaverse are kind of the bridges between the different platforms that are out there, similar to the internet is the bridge between websites. Yep. Okay. That's I like that analogy. I, I, I do, and I think that helps people kind of ground when we say metaverse. Literally, it's, it is outer space. Like, it is outer space, and these things that are popping up are planets or moons or whatever they're things in outer space but they aren't space the right. metaverse space yeah and i i don't think that they're i think that uh vr technology will be similar to the gaming um market now in that you're going to have consoles that have groups of experiences and then you're going to have web-based games and there's no like consistent bridge in between those and i think vr will have the same thing you know vr will have console or or platforms that kind of live independently but then there will be vr experiences that launch through a browser that's called web vr um yeah. but but uh, inherently, those experiences that run through the web uh, will have different capabilities than, for example, a console game or a Quest game uh, that have different hardware characteristics and capabilities. Okay. 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 So when you th when you think metaverse, because this is the other piece that that I love to hear people's perspective on this. I get big space, but how how do you? articulate like the the what is it is it purely the vr like how, what do you encapsulate that in um i think that vr and ar essentially all experiences okay uh, um so the metaverse is going to be comprised of all different types of experiences okay, okay. All right. Nope. That's, and again, I think the analogy holds up with that because again, you're going to experience different components in some different ways and, and things like that, which we'll get to the hardware discussion. Cause I'm, I'm really interested to get back into that, but 
on this one, you know, so 2012 was really when, I mean, you were into it before, but that's really when you went deep. If I'm, if I'm understanding the timeline, right. That, that was when that was the fork in the road of, of okay. frankly, my, my career, my, my, my life. Like it was like, I'm all in or I'm out. Like this is it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it wasn't even an if it was like, Oh, this. <laughs> so it wasn't really a fork because you just did it. It was like, well, there's not another prong on this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think I, I like to find hundred percent truths in life. I, I like find okay. solace in that. Um, and the, the fact is, is that three dimensional content gives more information than two dimensional content. It does. And, and up until that moment, there was no easy vehicle to transmit three dimensional content. And, and, you know, if you just, if you just go down to, well, three dimensional content is more than two dimensional content, then, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go in this direction and and see. And then, and then once you start digging and, and see the potential of it, then it was like, then you just, well, for me, I just wanted more, you know, (laughs) he took the blue pill and that was it. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's a great, great reference. (laughs) Okay. So, so over that period of time though, I mean, they were talking almost, well, actually it would be 10 years now, 10 years. and, And, you know, you started even before that, how have you seen this kind of change or evolve? Because Again, and it was going on well before that. I remember I was at a VR conference with somebody who started with some of the first VR with NASA, which was, this yeah. was like pre-2000 stuff. So this is not, you know, a few years old. But even in the last 10 years, what have you seen that has been one, like what's that journey looked like, but also what have been some of the biggest accelerants of it? Sure. So I think from the outside, a lot of people measure it by the hype. Okay. Um and definitely yeah, the hype true. the hype has ebbed and Ups flowed and downs. over the time. Definitely 2016 was a big hype curve, a lot of investment. Um, and definitely right now is another uh, iteration of that. But we're an order of magnitude further down the road in terms of cost and scalability and deployment and adoption. Sure. Um, but from, from my point of view, like the, the technology itself feels to me like a linear path upwards. Interesting. Um, yeah. And, you know, I don't, I think definitely, so this is the, the o- Oculus Quest 2. Um, this definitely was an inflection point um, okay. in, in the industry uh, because of how accessible it is and the, the cost is. So okay. that, that does represent an inflection point for, for that linear, linear line. But in general, it's a pretty linear line upwards. I, that's a really good distinction because I do, you know, there've been plenty of conversations I've had where, where, and I think I've even used a term where it's like the industry's had its starts and stops, but your point of, well, that's the hype cycle of it. Like everybody thought, I mean, I remember 2016, everybody thought, oh, VR is it. We're, you know, we're going to live in houses with nothing on the walls and we're just going to have headsets. And it was, you know, this kind of crazy time. And then the perception was, oh, yep, nope, didn't work. It's going away. And and then, you know, COVID hit and it kind of sparked back up. But really, when when I actually think about what you're saying, in terms of the advancement of the technology and the focus on it, and nobody stopped. Yeah, like nobody stopped when the okay. hype died down. It just the hype kind of went into the background, but 
it still was growing. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And a lot of people do the analogy to other tech cycles. You know, the, the internet is, is one good analogy. You know, are we in the 93 area of the internet in, in <laughs> VR? And then also mobile phones is another one, right? So, you know, when I was a kid, my dad had the, the phone in the backpack that he had to take on vacation. Yeah, the bag phone, the big the heavy bag thing. phone, right? The bag phone. Um, and then, you know, then you got flip phones and Blackberries and then, then the iPhone is this inflection point. Um, I'm a little undecided whether the quest is the iPhone. I, I actually don't think it is. I I I don't think it is. That's, that was the really fun part of the pre-show conversation we were having was like, okay, if we were to try and guess where we are using this, the, the phone as, the thing, because I actually remember even before the bag phone, my dad had one of these like walkie talkie things that had, you could call yeah. with a walkie talk. So there was like the radio phone, then the bag phone came, then there was the flip phone, then it went to BlackBerry, then smartphone. It was, there was a lot of yeah. so stuff. I, I, and- I think maybe we're at the flip phone stage. Um, okay. Um, but I think the ceiling, <laughs> I think though, the, yes. I think though the, the cell phone technology arc is actually kind of coming to an end, um, yep. that, that the manufacturers of the cell phones are, are inventing these features. Like nobody needs a phone to flip in half, but they have to sell the next thing. I, we, I call it a, also a biological barricade in that for a while it was resolution 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 but now we've gotten to a point where our eyes actually can't see more resolution than than what's on our phones right so now you've hit this this biological barrier that any improvements actually don't add value to the experience so sorry i'm I'm laughing at one of the comments because somebody said maybe we're in the palm trio phase (laughs) (laughs) That's, that could be. That could be. That's good, Drew. I remember the little stylus that you popped out of there. So yeah, no, it's but it, well, but I, I think, think you, go for it. So I think on the VR side, also we're well more advanced than on the AR side. But I think yeah. the evolution of the cell phone will actually merge with the augmented reality wearables, so that the 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 eyeglasses that um, come out are going to basically be the next. Um, next yeah. peripheral for our phones. Well, and what's interesting, you know, we're talking about the cell phone piece, but I even remember this with desktop computing. I mean, when the original Pentium processors came out, there was this, you had to get a new computer every year because the, you know, 386 came out and then there was the Pentium 2 and then, and it was this, this kind of very excessive, you know, and, and hard drive size and RAM was just exploding. And sure. then it kind of hit a point where you were like, I mean, how much more can we really improve this? I mean, we will, but it's not crazy. And I think similar to what you're saying with the phone, the same thing happened. We hit the smartphone and it was kind of like, well, we can make it fold and we can make the battery life, you know, put a third camera on the back type of a thing, but we really can't do much else. And, and I've, I had a conversation, I don't know, a couple of years ago where I said this merging of AR VR hardware wearables is still it's still missing in terms of well am i gonna have two devices am i not and it's you know it's still big it's they've shrunk quite a bit so i think 
yeah, the Palm Trio, or as, as Ethan says, the <laughs> Erickson Symbian. Maybe we're like, <laughs> <laughs> we're right there in, in that stage. Okay. That's right. We're, but, but we're getting, we're getting, we're increasing speed in, in what we can do. Um, and except for on the AR side, we're still waiting, right? Like, on the AR side of things, we're we're way behind. Um, really, the the viable headsets on the AR side are the Hololens and and the Magic Leaps that are coming out. And you know those are three thousand dollars, and they're space because they're spatially aware. And then you have some some more economical solutions that maybe more like heads up display, which I don't really you know that's not quite augmented reality in in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, no, and and I again, we talked about this a little bit before, but you know, with VR having now the external cameras, you know, this kind of is it just going to merge into one device type of a thing and and you know, what 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 might that look like? Um things like that. I just it's it's going to be interesting to see. So so on that one though, on the hardware piece cuz this is one of the things that I think is interesting about the adoption. I think back to even the let's talk the phone or even desktop computer. There was this period of time where some people had one, some people didn't. You know, it was well, I not everybody had a cell phone. Some people did, some people didn't have it. Some people had a computer at home, some people didn't. I feel like we're kind of in that stage with immersive hardware where more people have them, but it's not necessarily a guarantee that everybody even has that are you how's that tracking in terms of as you look at things are, are more and more people having these devices again with the quest bringing it down to 299 sure so definitely um the quest 2 is an amazing value um and but they're they're solely focused on the gaming community um yep. and 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 um, the other use cases will grow and expand. Um, but I think for VR, there's going to be people in this world that just are not comfortable with the technology and, and with, with valid reasons, right? It's an it's a incredibly powerful thing to put on this headset and feel as if you're transported to another world. Um, and, and I've shown thousands of people their, their first VR experiences and... Um, you really have to be very careful, you know, what you're putting them into and, and you have to yeah. tread, tread super lightly. So I think VR will always be um, something that is a, an activity that some people choose to do and some people don't choose to do. Um, yeah. I think AR, on the other hand, is going to be more analogous to cell phones because it's going to be the next evolution of cell phones. And if you want to use a cell phone, you're going to need this additional peripheral in order to okay. make use of the technology. Um, yeah. Okay. No, I think, yeah, because there was, I don't remember when it was, but we were doing, I was doing some work on this. And again, the, the discomfort and even some of the psychological risks of VR, they're real. I mean, it's, because it's so real and I love the comments, everybody's like real reality, legacy reality, you know, kind of what's the term, for, but it really truly to your point is transporting you to another place, which really can, if you're not careful, mess with your head. And I remember right. with one pilot group I was with, there was people were very uncomfortable with this. Like, I don't even know that I can 
I don't like this being not in the world right now type of a thing versus ARs not yeah. doing that. It's kind of more the augmenta augmentation of it. Yeah, I think I think one thing that I like to kind of point out is people are people are very often, well, I, I like VR or I don't like VR. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm like, that's like saying, do you like your TV or do you not like your TV? <laughs> and it's much more related to the show that you're watching on the television. Yeah, right? I hate Netflix. <laughs> you don't you don't hate Netflix. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So you really have to be very careful of you know what you're judging based on the content that you're actually consuming versus Fair point. versus the technology. Um, and you know, there's so many people's first reaction is to put them into a roller coaster um, because they want to they want to catch their. Why is that? Why is that everybody's first thing? It's like, hey, have you tried VR? Let me put you on this thing that's probably going to give you motion sickness and might make you puke. Like, isn't this a fun experience? Like, it's, what a polarizing first experience for folks. I know, and I think everyone wants that reaction. They want that laugh moment or whatever it is. And I, I just like pull out my hair. I'm like, no, don't go into the roller coaster out of the gate. There's so many other things. Like, you got to tread super lightly and um, and really find the the content that resonates with that person. So usually, like if I'm if I have a friend or a family member, like I'll kind of talk to them. Like, do you like to travel or do you like to draw? You know, if you like to travel, I got Google Earth or I got Wander or you know, where do you want to go? Or if you like to draw, I got tilt brush. You can draw this swirl and walk around it. And you know. Um, those are the types of experience that people it opens up their minds when you when you hit something that resonates with their interests. Yeah, I, I love that point. And as a takeaway for anybody who's even looking at treading in this, because I've seen this where learning or even even just certain business professionals are trying to pitch VR and they don't do that analysis on the front end to try and understand What's my audience? What's their interests? Things like that. They come into it going, I thought this was super cool in VR. So I'm just going to jam it on everybody. And then they're obviously going to be blown away by it. And then they're going to say, yes, I'm in on this. And they get this 70-30 mix where some people are like, that was really cool. And then the others are like, oh, that if that's what this is, this is garbage. We're never going to use this. And it's a huge missed opportunity because right. like you said, they're judging the entire VR space based on a single experience that was in no way, shape or form personalized to them versus, you know, I mean, somebody even mentioned in the comments, like somebody's first experience was this 3D painting. Well, that can suddenly make a anti-VR person go, oh, I, I that's something that I could, I didn't realize it was so diverse. That's right. Yeah, I mean, so Half-Life Alex is this amazing experience. I, you know, if, if you haven't seen it or heard about it, just kind of YouTube it. But it, it's really the 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 pinnacle AAA VR game that's out there. But it's a it's a zombie apocalypse game that, you know, I I'm not the genre I typically rush towards. But of course, it's so beautiful and so amazing. I, you have to go through it. But my wife is not going in there and shooting zombies. Um, 
and my wife, you know, for a long time, didn't spend a lot of time in VR. She supported it and understood it, but she's not a gamer. She's not like really into yeah. it, but she, she happened to like to do puzzles. And uh, she found like, I was like, Oh, why don't you try this thing called puzzling places, which is basically a, a three dimensional jigsaw puzzle. And the first time I was in it, I put her in it. She was in it for two hours and, and I was kind of shocked. And she was like, you know, it was just, so relaxing and so satisfying. Um, and it was like, oh, you know, it, it's really important to find the content that will resonate with somebody. Um, and and another problem with the industry is there's so much content out there and a lot yeah. of the content's not great. Um, so if you have somebody that gets a headset or whatever, and maybe they, they try it, you know, and they go into an experience that doesn't resonate with them, then the whole medium becomes tainted. It's like, oh, I don't like VR because I don't like shooting yeah. zombies. Well, and and Nicole brings this up. She brought this up, and I think it's a it's a what what's happened a lot. You know, her first workplace VR experience, she got really sick. I'm I'm reading one of the comments. I'll bring sure. it up because you know, Nicole, you won't you won't mind that I do. And then she just didn't pick it up for a year. And I th and I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had where that happens, where someone, you know, was pitched or they went to a conference and went to a booth and they they put it on. They went to the mall and got thrown in the roller coaster, whatever it was. And suddenly now they've generalized the entire space with this one experience. And they go, yeah, no, it's not for me because I would never do this. And and to your point, well, that's not, that's not it. That's like saying, yeah, I went to this, you know, website. It, it wasn't, I didn't really like it. The internet is a terrible thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're missing the forest through the trees. Yeah. Well, and I think there is definitely a very common thing. We call it VR legs that, you know, the first handful of times you've ever tried VR, um, you want to keep the time in the experience really short. Um, because you, you, your body has to get used to the technology yeah. and I don't know what experience Nicole went into, but you know, some of the experiences, just the, if you're sliding across the floor instead of transporting, you know, that can be very, very uncomfortable it's, for, for people. Um, yeah, her first experience, she said well, it was alt space, which again, that is all you're, you're kind of like, you have no legs and you're, and it takes a bit for your brain to kind of go. I'm walking, but I'm not walking type That's of a right. thing. That's right. So yeah, depending on which experience it, you go into and how much time you spend in that experience, it it all can result in a bad experience. And then people are very different, right? Some people can go on a boat and some people can't, right? Um, <laughs> so motion sickness is is real, but it's in VR, it's almost like the inverse. So it the fact that you can go on a boat and not get seasick does not mean that you can go into VR and not get seasick. It's kind of de detached. Um, yeah. But you just have to tread lightly and you got to, you got to find content that resonates with you. And, right. and if you find that content that is really fun for you and, and, and comfortable, then you're going to be much more prone to, to go and continue to look for different types of experiences. Well, and and I know we spent some time on this, but I'm really glad we did because I think one of the areas I see the industry, at least my industry, struggling with is how do we get one our own kind of broader experience in it, but how do we also help other people understand the potential and the value? And I think this time spent on we'll get to know the audience of stakeholders you're trying to show because there is this diverse thing. And this is 
it is dangerous, not dangerous, like dangerous, but like it's, it's risky to just give someone a headset or assume that because they've tried it, they understand VR. And, and it's like, well, no, there's, there's some real work that has to happen in terms of figuring out, well, what experiences might we be able to do? How might we be able to frame this up? How do I cut out some of the noise? Cause again, I've got a quest. I, I don't have the quest two yet, but you go into that thing. And if you're not tech savvy, the first time you go in, it's kind of like, uh, what, what, what like, do I do? Where do I even start? And, and there's, you know, this whole sea of things that you can pick from, and you're trying to figure out how to even navigate your own kind of space that you zoom into when you first port in. And I mean, it can be a very, very overwhelming experience. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. But I will say, um, I think we're we're kind of talking about the cautions and the warnings and how to get yeah. into it. Um, but I do want to flip the conversation. Yeah, let's a, do it a little bit because it is an amazing tool and it can do so many amazing things if you can get past these little batter, barriers of of entry. And uh, you know, I, maybe I'll give a kind of a, a, an example. Uh, one of the things that we're doing with our, our healthcare initiatives um, is we're helping out hospitals in, deploy virtual reality technology into their kids' cancer uh, infusion centers uh, with the simple premise that these kids, they're sick and they're stuck in this patient room um, and they're stuck there for five or six hours. And with this technology, we can put a device on their head, and in an instant, they are in a magical world. And it's a multi-user experience that we built. So they actually meet up with other kids that are going through the Who same are going infusion. through the same experience. And, and the, now they're, they're detached from their physicalness, where their physical body is, and they're exploring this wonderful um, virtual land. Um, those, that that experience and being involved with those projects for me is like, it's taking this amazing capable technology and now deploying it in this use case, which adds so much benefit to, yep. to society. Um, and you know, there's, there's time and time again, I, I kind of run across these types of things. I, I remember back in 2016, I, it was gear VR days. So that's like with the phone, and um, having Saturday morning coffee, 8 a.m., and I put on this document, a virtual documentary, it's called Clouds Over Sidra, uh, where you're transported to a Syrian refugee camp, and you walk yeah. around with this 12-year-old girl, and she shows you how her day goes. And it, uh, uh, the term that people use is VR is the ultimate empathy machine, because it, you can- It is. You, you can, can put people in an experience. That's right. That's right. Um, and there's just so much potential for this technology. And, and that's, that's, that's why it is worth getting over the barriers of entry. Yeah. That's why it's worth seeking the experiences that, that you find uh, fun. Um, and I think it's going to get easier as time advances. It, it will. I mean, like any technology, this this is going to become one. People are just going to get more comfortable with it. I mean, I remember when the first smartphones came out, people complained about like trying to figure out the apps and like this. is, And now nobody thinks twice about it because the experience has improved and things like that. So but I'm, I'm with you on the and I'm glad we brought it back to that because 
it is easy to focus on what are the barriers, which it's important to so that you can get it right. It's important to know what, hey, these are the landmines that you can potentially step on. Don't step here because you're potentially preventing yourself from getting to what's incredible. And it's worth navigating this minefield. And you probably will step on one here and there, but it's worth it because I just think of, you know, in in learning even, I personally, it's huge. But I even think with my kids, some of the places I've taken my kids together are things that I, I couldn't do. I actually could not physically do with them, but I can now in VR because we can together go experience some of these things in history. We can go see you know, some of these other things. And I can tell you my, my almost 11 year old, the history lessons he's learned together as we walk through history and experience it are 10 times better than when he sits and reads his history book. So, so again, the possibilities, and to me, I look at it and go, there are no rules with VR. And that's one of the most amazing things about it is, well, the sky's the limit in terms of what are you trying to do? And yeah, you could do it wrong or you could screw it up or you could do something incredibly powerful. Yeah, the the learning, specifically the learning opportunities with the, with the technology, that, that definitely is one of the superpowers in my mind. Um, and, you know, there's robust studies all over the place that that essentially say if you read about how to do something, you're going to retain 25 percent. If you watch a video, you're going to retain 50 percent. And if you actually do the exercise, you're going to retain 75 percent. And, you know, the, the real layman's simplification of the reason is if you're reading about it, you're just using one part of your brain. And if you're doing it, you're using more areas of your brain. And, and again, there's there's a lot of smarter people out there on the neurology side of things. Yeah, I was going to say we're on that. We're on the learning thing. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but those are those are real evidence. Those are real concrete facts. Um, and it's it's clear to me that learning is going to be completely disrupted by this technology yes. um, on all levels, from, from grade school all the way up to enterprise solutions. Um, and that's definitely one of the, the low-hanging fruits on our side is it's, it's an easy sell to an organization uh, to use this technology to train. It's just a matter of how do I how do I deploy it in a scalable manner at the right size, scale, and speed? Yeah. Well, and it, and it goes back to the intention behind it. And I think this is one of the challenges that as learning professionals we have to work through is when you're thinking about VR, and, and honestly, even AR in many regards, you really are going to this level of experience design, which is different than information architecture, which in our space, a lot of what we've done is information architecture. We've taken information and we've structured it in a meaningful way and we've tried to you know, distribute it to folks. And when you start talking about experience, that's a, that's a different thing because you have to now think about, well, what is this person doing and what is going on around them while that's happening? And what am I trying to accomplish through that? Because I've seen really bad VR learning experiences. And I think that's where sometimes VR in the industry gets a bit of a bad rap is some of it has been positioned that doing anything in VR is wildly more successful than doing anything any other way. And it's like, well, 
if you throw somebody in alt space and we were joking about this and you make everybody sit in a chair and they can't talk and you're standing at the front of the stage going through a PowerPoint, it's not going to be, they retained 70% versus 10% because they had a headset on. Like yeah. you didn't actually change the experience and maximize what you can do with VR. That's right. Yeah. I think for, especially for presentations and events and stuff, the value of a virtual reality event is the networking afterwards where you can roam around that world and with spatial audio, the, you know, the people that are talking over there are kind of low and you can have a conversation. And that's frankly what the world is missing with Zoom and, and Hangouts and, and webinars is, is that casual walking up to somebody and having a conversation. Um, that is a huge, huge value. So, I, so my, my kind of opinion is keep the presentations, you know, minimalized or whatever, use them to get the audience there. Um, but even the events with my, my meetup that I always ran, you know, the, the presentations were important for the gathering of the people. But time and time again, the, the audience comments back to me was the networking was the value. That, that's, yep. why I, I, that's why I came to this event, and that's where I got the most value. And, and uh, VR events, I think, will be the same way. Yeah. Well, and, and I think this goes down to – I was talking about this with – this was t two weeks ago? Two weeks ago. Um, I had Andrew Barry on, and we were just talking about hybrid experience. But with this whole thing, it's, it's really about breaking down – the learning experience and saying, what are we really trying to do at each stop on here? And then when you do that, then you can decide how the technology fits. Because again, even going to, all right, let's, let's not even use the presentation example. If you're just popping digital content into a VR space and saying, now you can walk around and push this hologram video and then watch the video in VR versus well, okay, that's that. Let them watch it on their browser because you're actually adding barriers to the experience. Versus, that's what right. are we trying to get them to do? We're trying to get them to interact. We're trying to get them to practice doing this type of thing. We want to expose them to this environment that we can't physically put them in. You start asking those questions, then suddenly the tool fits the activity. Versus, how do we make the activity fit the tool? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think there's a, a real importance in making the training simulation enjoyable. And those those enjoyable moments, um, it kind of ties back to gamification, right? So you can still gamify even a, a web-based game, but sure, the person's going to learn better if they get sparkles and happy sounds when they get an answer correct, <laughs> right? It's the same thing in virtual reality is that going back to that puzzle game, the, the people that designed it, they did an amazing job. And every time you bring a puzzle piece together, it's the best word is satisfying. Like it, they come okay. together so nice and there's like a little <laughs> sound and a little haptic or whatever. And it's like, you know, those, those little subtle details are, are super important in, in bringing people back, right? They, they want to go back to that virtual experience because it was so enjoyable and they're learning at the, at the same time. Yeah. Well, and, and I think Nicole's point, and this is just, again, we're, we're talking about a lot of the shifts people have to make, but we have to shift our thinking from information architecture to experience design. So that's, that's a different, because even the example you just used, that intricate detail of when the two puzzle pieces go together, what can we do to, to 
give that kick of dopamine that makes somebody go, yeah, like that was great. Like now, how do we do that in these subtle ways? And again, VR opens up the possibilities, but then this whole, well, how do we think about the world in terms of 3D versus 2D? We're, we're dealing with a completely different medium. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So one, one question that, that Nicole asked, and this one's going to be better for you, is so with, with where this is going, okay, so, so again, we got the hardware, just the eyewear piece, but how about this biofeedback, things like that? Is that? Are you seeing more adoption with that? Is that still niche? Where does that fall? I, I think um, I think people inherently are lazy, um, and uh, <laughs> and the more that they have to do in order to experience something, um, you know that you ha you have to have the right type of individual that is going to one spend the money and two take the time to jump into the, this suit. Um, okay. So you know I I have it and um, you know I've had similar types of of peripherals. Um, but I'm not like going in and doing that every time I'm going in um, <laughs> for most of the VR experiences that I'm doing. Um, so I think I think the the right answer is it really depends on the use case. Um, yeah. And are they getting, you know, does the peripherals uh, haptics actually add so much to the experience that it is more effective in whatever yeah. it's trying to do? Um, right. So uh, even those It's a value equation, really, if you think about it. It's a value equation of is the effort and friction that putting on the haptics, is it adding enough value to the experience so much so that you go, no, I actually wouldn't do this experience without that because of how dramatically it improves whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, and I, 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 just to kind of close it, I'll give a couple of examples. So there's a, a surgical simulation software system that, that's out there, but with that, they have basically um, mechanical uh, sutures and, and devices that are used as part of it, and they have tension on it, and those peripherals are really integral to the surgical training simulation. Um, there's uh, even driving simulators, right? Driving simulators where you're kind of moved around while you're while you're steering. If you don't have those things moving around, actually a lot of people will get motion sickness. If you have this haptic feedback uh, system that you're either driving or flying, you're mimicking what your body would sense and therefore your body is much more comfortable in the experience. Yeah. So in those two situations, there's a ton of value for those types of peripherals. Uh, for the suits, um, you know, most of those will, they, they provide some motion capture is, is one of the outputs. And I think a lot of the people use it just for the motion capture component of it. And then some of them have like built in um, systems where like you'll feel bump and it'll, it'll uh, give you like a, a bolt. Um, those are cool, but I, I don't, I don't think that they really like, I haven't, I haven't found an experience where that's so vital to actually have. Okay. Well, this goes back to what we've been talking about, even with even the foundation of, of doing anything with VR, which is you're actually defining the experience and saying what elements of this really require this. And if you're saying, I have a Tesla suit and I want to use it, so let's jam it in wherever it might make sense, it's not going to work. But to your point, if this is something where you go, no, this is such a critical, the surgical one is a really good one because some of those things where you're like, no, but this is the part that matters. 
That's is right. how that actually works. Well, then recreating it or doing something haptically makes sense. But if it's like, isn't that neat that we can <laughs> that we can give people a little buzz when they you know do this? Well, then that's probably not going to adopt. I will say yeah. though, even the the little haptics on a controller that when you you know go to activate a button, it it feels a bump. Um, that is super important in the you know the satisfying nature of the the UI. Um, so those things are are really important in a, in subtle ways, but they're not core to the experience. Well, and I think you have to ask, what are the friction points here? Are you asking somebody to spend a bunch of money on a thing that then they have to get into every single time that they do? Then are those small haptics outweighing all the other friction points? Yeah. Probably not. So you're not going to get, I, I think of the big thing that people can stand in and then they, they can walk or the boots that you put on that allow you to walk where you go. I mean, they're cool, but again, is that going to be, are you going to strap those things on every single time you go do something? Well, I don't know that it's going to justify the effort that goes into it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Okay. Well, there's there's like four other areas I really, really, really want to get into, but we're at like 57 minutes. And so if I so much as even start tipping into this, we're, we're going to go way, 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 way over on this one. So I'm actually going to wrap us up because I think we hit on some of the really big points in terms of kind of highlighting the journey and where we're at, the opportunity that's still, you know, kind of on that timeline where we are. Some of the things that people need to be cautious of, and I think your point of saying it's worth it is really, really, really important to say, yes, there are things to know about. There's cautions to take. There's a way to approach it, but it's worth it. And I think we just scratched the surface on some of the incredible possibilities that if you can get there, the sky's the limit, honestly. That's right. And, and uh, I am welcome. I'm happy to come back next year and, and we can touch on. Uh, okay. Well, everybody, people are asking for a part two. So, so I'm we'll game. have to plan, we'll have to plan a part two and, and bring you back and we'll dig deeper into some of it. And, and really, I mean, we didn't even get a chance to talk about the use cases in depth or even what's going on across different industries and how people are really maximizing it. So again, we we literally scratch the surface, but I appreciate you joining me, spending an hour talking about this and bringing, bringing your expertise to it. I think there's a lot, a lot to unpack from this. So thank cool. you. Yeah. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk and, uh, uh, if anybody's interested, go check out my website. It's theglimpsegroup.com. And uh, you can see all of the amazing stuff that our team's working on. And uh, I look forward to the next conversation. Part two, I'm ready. Part two. There we go. All right. So, reloaded. We'll come up with a really cool name for <laughs> Resurrection. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll come up with some cool matrixy type name for it. It'll be good. It'll be good. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Have a wonderful rest of your Friday and have a great weekend. We'll see you next week.